Satish, what an awesome conversation, hey? And Keith, oh, amazing gosh, person. Like, what did you think about that? Listen, anytime we meet South Asian founders, I can't ignore the cultural narrative being South Asian. And I love the fact that her parents are actually very supportive. Yeah. And engineering was an option and not a mandatory thing. Because so much of the culture I know of is your destiny for doctor, engineer, or, or something is predetermined. And then your entire life is to prepare you for that moment. And it's such a, it's such a heavy, heavy burden to carry when you realize, shit, I don't have a lot of choices in my life until much later in life. I took exactly that same thing away. What struck me, right, was a dad that said, be whatever you want, but just be the best at it. And yeah. I think that is just so amazing because if that's the type of support that we can give our kids and the type of support that we get from other people around us, the sky's the limit in terms of what you're going to do. That ties yeah, into all the messages. It was such messages of strength and positivity. It's things like you need to have confidence in your own abilities. We don't take enough risks. It's all of those things that hold us back that, and Keith has embraced. And, you know, she's done an amazing job being a solo entrepreneur, entering into a brand new space and taking the business to where it's at. Very cool, man. One of the things she was talking about, which is well-being as her, her productivity hack. And for those who are going to listen to the episode, she didn't share the details of productivity hacking, but I love the idea that 20% of my time is my well-being, whether it's socializing, meditating, sleeping, whatever it is. And we, we don't take that serious. We're still in a world where we're treating people that's setting us up for success. There's always a pill and a therapist and medication waiting for us versus how do we teach you how to find that balance up front? This is a good episode. Welcome to Year One, hosted by me, Dio Klopis, and my good friend, Satish Bala. On Year One, we speak to early stage founders, business owners, and entrepreneurs about the highs and lows of the early years, the challenges and rewards, and everything else in between. So without any further ado, let's get into this week's conversation. And Gita, welcome to Year One. Satish and I are really happy that you've taken the time out to join us today. And we started for the same way with all our podcasts. And that is before we talk about your business, we want to find out more about the person behind the business. So what has led you down this path of entrepreneurship? So for me, the path started, I would say, 15 years ago. I was doing engineering. Um, and in my second or third year, I realized that this is not for me. This is not where I feel the most passionate and most in my flow state is not engineering. So I started to look for other career options. And then during my final year, I knew that I want to pursue something very different, which is like a pursue a career different. So I joined a fashion school. I took a program. I did a master's in fashion management. And I really liked studying marketing. And then I, did, I joined a marketing agency, a very big marketing agency at the time. The engineer in me refused to work on just the creative side. It needed data. It needed to like work on something that is backed by data. So I was looking for digital marketing opportunities. And that time the agency, any agency, any big agency was not doing digital marketing. Digital marketing was still a concept that was still picking up brands or investing 5% max as an experiment budget into digital marketing. That led me to join a startup 
agency. The agency was started by a like you know a brilliant XPNG guy who moved from China to start an agency in India. And then we started this company. I was like third or fourth employee, and we started this company in a four bedroom house. So from four people to eighty people, I I saw the company grow. We had a massive success. And as an early team member, you get to do a lot of things than just marketing. And that process is very fulfilling. So once you are like, when you see a company growing so much and then you're putting so much into it, it's a very different kind of high. And that's very addictive to be in that space, creating something out of absolutely nothing. And I knew that I want to be in a space that that gives me that feeling, which is what entrepreneurship is. You take absolutely nothing and you make into something that people love and appreciate and that was I think 12 10 to 12 years ago and I've not looked back I've joined one startup with the team from like you know 8 10 people to sometimes 200 people sometimes 400 people and then another startup did the process over and over again and at some point I knew that you know this is time for me to have like hit my plateau with doing the building marketing team now i want to build a company and that's why i started five that's incredible as a fellow south asian i have to ask is engineering your dream or parents dream none i would say so my parents are very open-minded like my dad used to say anything the designation doesn't matter if you are good at it that's what matters so you can be a dry cleaner but make sure you're the best dry cleaner in town. So when I was not enjoying engineering, he said, you can do anything you want, but make sure that, you know, you are best at what you do. And that's what I tried to do with my digital marketing career. Like, you know, I was good with what I... Not my parents' team to push me into engineering. Engineering is sometimes like, you know, I come from a very small town in India, like, you know, very, very small town. It wasn't a like, you know, major city until I was like eight or nine years old. So for us, there are not many career options. Right now, the exposure is enough that, you know, there are like, you know, people, kids are picking very unique career options. But at that time, if you are like really, really great at studies, especially bio, you become a doctor. If you are an okay student, potential, you become an engineer. If um, you are not academic. I'm curious, do you want to share with our audience, where is back home? And, you know, I love how you described your dad. I think I want to be a dad like that with my kids. Even though some days I'm like, I fall back into the same trap that my parents did. Academic success is the only success in life. And it's kind of like the foundation has to be academic, even though I'm an entrepreneur for life. I'm curious, what was, you know, the the little version of you like growing up and what kind of dreams and aspirations did you have? So my educators, first of all, I think it's important to mention they teach students. And, And I think what... There's one approach of this is that you want your kids to do really well academically. A very different approach. I was really good with uh, like sports. And they saw that, you know, if I'm doing, if I, my mind is occupied with something which is productive, it doesn't need to be education. As long as I'm, I have healthy habits, that's more important. And they, they actually like, you know, I was never, including my brother, but like we were doing well. We were not the brilliant like you no know, top five percentile but we're like you know top like top 20 percentile like academically coming closer to 80 percentile student so they were happy about that and that led us to like you know do which is not so tell us a little about your business in Kita. give us the innovator pitch 
So Filer, which is my startup, we are a prop tech startup that automates real estate closing for professionals. We help lawyers, realtors, and mortgage brokers serve homeowners, buy, sell. Okay, pretend Dion and I met you at a bar. We're super drunk and we need it to be explained in like a three-year-old version. Go. So if you have a home, remember the transaction you did with the lawyer. You were roaming around to see the property with the realtor. Once that is done, realtor said, hey, it's your agreement of sale and purchase. Find a lawyer. Get your closing done. Lawyer reached out to you through phone, email, whatever. And they asked you a bunch of documents that they requested over email. Now you send all your documents, important information through email. And there was a lot of back and forth. That might, if you have purchased a home, you're an adult, you might have gone through this. You know, this is a very true fact. This is a reality. This is what I have gone through. This is 1.5 million consumers go. They send their sensitive information to the lawyer. They spend 30 to 40 hours doing back and forth with the lawyer to get the closing done. So there are two issues. One is the time you spend in sending your information to the lawyer, chasing the lawyer to give you a follow-up. Lawyers don't feel obligated to tell you that, you know, this is what's happening. Stay calm. Everything is on track. They are doing your work. It's They don't think that, you know, it's their job to keep you in loop all the time. That they have crossed step one. They have crossed step two. So, um... And also the second concern is security. You're sending all your private information, sensitive information through email to an employee of the law firm. And considering that, you know, there are a lot of title frauds, identity frauds happen across the world, especially during the tough times, like in a recession. It is important for you to hold the information um, more securely. Like when you're starting documents, make sure this is through a, a secure channel. So we basically, Filer does all that for you. We automate real estate closing. So we are creating a win-win for home buyers and real estate professionals. Real estate professionals want efficiency. Home buyers, home buyers want security and peace of mind. With vision and AI, we are able to like bridge this gap and make a win-win. That's ah, very good. Well, isn't that... We definitely sobered up. I'm We're curious like, okay, though. Let's keep <laughs> when you introduced yourself, you said you had a background in marketing. And you built agencies and that's where you spent and, you know, you cut your teeth. But now you've gone into prop tech. How did that transition actually take place? So when I, with my marketing career, I have worked with diverse industries. Like I, I did fashion management. So my first client was a fashion client. But when you work in an agency you have the opportunity. It's a beautiful opportunity that you get to experience different industries, from fashion to e-commerce to healthcare. So that's how it started. And I never wanted to like, you know, restrict myself to work at Peltec. I worked in SaaS and now then with the law firm and now PropTech. So tech is something that is very baseline to me. Everything I do. That's amazing. I, I feel like a kinder spirit. I have a thread which is tech and then i've been able to figure out how to turn that into businesses most of my business ideas come from either pain or pleasure and and most of it actually is pain and i can't find a solution so arrogantly confidently i'm like I'll let me create a solution and see what happens when you look at your path from idea to mvp to customer acceptance can you share a little bit about you know why this particular idea why this particular problem when the whole ecosystem of buying a home is broken? I, I've done it three times. 
hate all three times the process. Absolutely. So it came from my house. I was buying, I was the first time home by home in the middle of a pandemic. So that was a bizarre story. I sent all my documents to the lawyer back and forth. And I was working in um, a high-tech startup company, fintech company. So I knew the importance of like, you know, how technology can streamline everything. But here I am sending all my documents. It seemed, seemed bizarre. And the outcome was also bizarre. So once I sent all the document, I know there's a person who's sitting and manually, like, you know, copy pasting everything or like, you know, typing this in email to another platform. And the outcome was as expected. There was a typo in my, my land transfer document. So six months later, I thought I have everything sorted. Six months later, I'm trying paying my property tax and I see my husband's name is misspelled. And I'm like, okay, now I had a bizarre experience with the law firm. Now I have to go back to the same law firm, ask them to rectify this. That took another four weeks chasing and then getting the document rectified. So it, it was a painful process. Home buying. I'll chime in. Man, I could have used you and your product. And when I bought my house during COVID too, it's a different story over drinks. I, I did my second closing using my software. Like, you know, it was a one-time effort. I uploaded all my documents in one shot. And second is that the lawyer came back to me saying, oh, it was so easy for him to find the documents. So I was like, okay, now I have made a good system. All the back and forth. Yeah, so that's what I actually wanted to ask you now, right? So how did you get that problem? You didn't enjoy the experience. It was a lengthy process. There were errors. And you said, you know, there must be a better way of doing it. How did you take that and turn it into a business there? Talk to me a little bit about coming up with your platform. Talk to me a little bit about the marketing, the analysis that you've done to do a bit of a needs assessment. What, what was the process that you actually went through? And as a homeboy, I is an issue with the experience, but I have a marketing background. I know like, you know, I have a business background, so I know that everything has to make business sense. You're solving a problem. Who's going to pay for that? And it should not be the home buyer. Like, I don't feel correct that the home owner is paying the lawyer, but also paying for the solution, like no added service. I felt very passionate that, you know, this is something that I need to solve for real lawyers or realtors, like you know, the professionals or businesses involved in that transaction. For them, one, the reach is much higher. Like, you know, the impact is much higher because then I'm solving, like I can make this technology a lot more people. Um, then the second one, like, you know, once you have the business case that, you know, it's a problem, this is, this is how you solve it. I have a marketing background, so I know that, you know, this is what my strength is. So lead generation, like, you know, from building the product, my background is like, you know, I worked with developers. So that my strength is development and marketing. And I use these two to build an MVP, close over a hundred transactions. Where's the business now, if you don't mind me? Are you still, are you out of MVP? Are you, have you got a, a product that's in the market that everyone's using? Or, or what is the current state? Because you're a year into it, right? Yeah. So we launched our MVP. Okay. Last year, May 2. And we have gone through a couple of revisions and additions, like, you know, added more it. So when we launch it, we launch it with, like, no very baseline not many features and now that we have feedback from our early adopters just now we are working with say eight seven to eight law firms 
and they are very happy with it and we have not like you know opened it up to the public we still like you know every time we have a meeting with the law firm we it's basically a qualification criteria make sure that you know we are able to deliver value for them right now it's still in a, a beta stage and plan is to basically start amazing i've got two questions one from a team perspective do you have a partner did you try to raise any money the second question as a follow up to that is are you a b2b where law firms are the T customer or you B2C too, where customers like me could use your product and force my law firm to use it. Where do you fit in as a, as a product? So your second question, if I'm B2B, B2C. So we are B2B. We work as lawyers are the one who pay for them. How's your partnership or organizational chart? Did you go looking for a partner? Did you try to raise money at this early stage? Just curious about the business side of it. So I am a solo founder. Uh, I have a team of advisors who basically give feedback on the product, who are very involved. They are not partners, but they work in a capacity of the advisory work. Then I have a team, development team in India, and um, I have a product manager, product lead here. So he handles the product delivery, product development, and I handle marketing and sales. Mm-hmm. Is that a conscious choice to stay sort of, you know, have the seat at the top for a bit longer without partners or I'm curious. It wasn't, it wasn't a conscious choice. But no one was disturbed by the problem that I had circle that I, I could partner with. Um, and it's very difficult to find founders. Like I'm open to it. I'm still looking for it. But it's, it's, it's like marriage. You are mm-hmm. going to be building this company for for a good 10 so you have to make sure that you complement each other's stuff, complement each other's skill set. So it is important for me to find someone who I can rely on because you need you need a team. Whether it's founding arrangement or it's like, you know, leads or like, you know, those department leads. Um, um, right now, it's a very flexible structure. That's awesome. Because one of the things you said in your setup questions was inbound leads is something you didn't expect. That mean? So we... we we're not expecting for people to like share about it from each other. So right now we were not for the first six, seven months, we are not marketing it. We are just like, you know, reaching out to law firms individually and giving them demos. But then start like, you know, it was happening that I would like you know, we'd have in you know, organic traffic on the website, get inbound leads, either on the website or on my LinkedIn. So that was not something that I had expected to happen this early. I had expected that you know, this would happen at some point, but I had not expected that to happen this early, which was an indication that, you know, people are talking about it. And just saying very quickly, I mean, staying with your current setup, you're a sole entrepreneur. You started the business on your own. You've built a team. You've got a product now that's in beta stage. Did you do this all by bootstrapping it? Did you go out and get investment? It was bootstrapped, yeah. The market wow. was not very good last year, so there was I could have raised anything. So I think it, it worked out. We, we are like, you know, now that we have um, clients who are paying us. So it was tough at the moment, like, you know, until we start generating cash. But now we are in a situation like, you know, we we can negotiate with investors that, you know, we are cash flow positive. It was not by design, but I'm glad That's that we, we actually got Talk there. to me about some of your challenges, Ankita, because I mean, you've, You've entered into a space. Yes, you've done marketing. So you've got exposure around different sectors and things like that. But you've gone into a space now where you are 
specialize in. You've gone also into tech. You've done this on your own. You've done it by bootstrapping. What are the challenges that you actually encountered during this journey? And just to add to that, not only are you a, a female founder, you're in a category dominated by these old white men, which is legal and prop tag. So we're blown away. So walk us through some of that, that journey. My weaknesses were my challenges. Like I'm a brown person with an accent. So sales is not something that I'm really, really good at. What I'm good at is discussing technology with you. I can... I'm really good at, like, you know, I can show you what's the value of this technology from a marketing and sales perspective. Like, you know, how can this help to help you build a better brand, help you serve your customer better, help you build a better reputation online. So that story I can tell, but getting that first meeting is a challenge for me because, you know, introductory, I'm not really good at, like, you know, okay, when people say, okay, brown female, look, young looking, right? This is what I get about. You look very young for someone who's, who's running a startup. I would get turned down quite a lot for first meeting. But once they have the first meeting with me, then it's a point of no return. Then I know I can make a good impression. But getting that first meeting is tough, and, and tough for me. Is it just pure perseverance, regardless of whether they weren't interested in meeting with you, you just picked up the phone and you carried on having those conversations until you got through to someone that was willing to talk to you? I would cowardly leave them an email on a LinkedIn message. I'm I'm good with my words. like. I'm good with typing, so I can write really well, probably not narrate so well. So I would, my strength is well, I'll send you an email. I'll not pick up my phone and, and speak to you. So I found, I found what works for me. What's the pool of competitors like for you in this space? It's 2023, daily there's house transactions happening and, and how many people are already trying to solve the problem you're trying to solve? So they are competitors. It's not a highly are competitors, even young, one or two years old, which I see like, you know, it's a good thing because one, they are validating the market. If others are doing it, that means the problem is real. It's not in my head. So, and are really established player. So one of the, like, you know, legal tech, you talk about legal tech space, there's Unit Diane Durham, which owns, and then there's LexisNexis. These are the two big legal tech companies. And they are really, really old companies. And when the companies are old, again, like they are mature companies, they have a good like you know operation setup. But in terms of technology and automation, they are not there yet, right? Their code is was written 20, 30 years ago, and right now they are just banking on it. So that is also advantageous for us because now we are bringing in with a fresh, fresh perspective. We are building a company post COVID, which is digital closing experience. Um, and the companies who started before that did not think it through, mm -hmm. did not think of the future that we are in today. I'd love that, man. Two common questions we get from first-time founders or people that are in nine to five with COVID transitioning into full-time entrepreneurship. One is this fear of outsourcing. And, or on the flip side, there's a misconception that India is cheap. And from what I'm seeing, labor cost is not as cheap as it was 10 years ago. And the quality of life has changed a little bit. So talk to us or the audience listening who's interested in outsourcing and some of the maybe mistakes you've made or some of the successes. And then part two to that is the other fear a lot of the founders we speak to have is this lack of CTO. 
I need a co-founder who's a CTO without that person is dead. But here you are, you know, you're doing your own thing. So maybe speak a little bit to to that new person who wants to start a company, doesn't know how to outsource and is, is afraid that without a CTO, they can't build a tech product. Um, it's tough, but it's not impossible. So the advantage I had with someone absolutely zero technical background is that I studied engineering. All my college buddies are <laughs> engineers and develop that access to that talent pool. I work with initial MVP was built by a development company that was run by my friend. So I had that advantage that, you know, I can give my money and the person would money I'm giving. It's a reliable and they would get it done. They share the same passion. So I had that security when I outsourced to India. Second, regarding like, you know, the cost. Again, it's not cheap. The quality of developers in India or here are very similar. I don't think in current, we live in a, we live in a society where everything is consumed globally. You're from media to your, these consumer websites. Amazon is safe. When people get used to the same consumer experience, your user interfaces, they start to think from a very like, you know, global perspective. And that's what developers, like you know, designers think. And that's what like, you know, these people think in India, that they are building a UI or they are building coding this website for a global company. And that's why the quality is very much the same. And the pricing is also not, it's not cheap. Now that you are spending more time, not just a very quick shortcut of a quick and dirty job. It's mm -hmm. not happening anymore. And Gita, the reality when you build a business, right, is that, and especially in your case now where you say you don't have a co-founder, you're doing all of this on your own, especially there's initial stages, right? So you're building a team now, but how do you get yourself through those lonely moments, those moments of doubt, the depression that comes with it and the angst that comes with it? How have you managed to keep yourself Pushing forward. It was tough. I would not sugarcoat it. It was tough. And I had days when I would, when someone would hug me and ask me, how am I doing? I just wanted to let it loose and say, I'm doing terrible. But the next day it got better. I got a good news. So like, it's worth like, you know, letting yourself uh, have a meltdown because you know, it's not permanent. You have to like, you know, it changes every day. It changes every week. So as long as you're patient with your emotion, it does passes so that's how I deal with dealt with it and that's how I plan to deal with it if I'm going to feel low I'll just say it I'm feeling low it's not my day so embracing that feeling yeah I love that man I like that don't fight it let it let it flow what is it called Aikido is like that you know you, you get pulled you go you get pushed you go and not resist and you know one of your productivity hack is well-being and I didn't really think about well-being as part of my entrepreneur ecosystem until COVID happened. I'm like, ooh, I'm as much as a cog in the wheel with all the other things I do. What is well-being like for you? Is there daily routines you follow? Are you a meditator? Are you, like, what is, I would love to get our audience listening in and a little peek into your day. Like, What does balance and well-being look like? Um, Sometimes it... it comes and goes I, I try to have a disciplined routine but sometimes it's like you no know, our life is chaotic like I can I cannot plan my day that I have to be up by like I have to sleep by this time and be up by this time I try as much as I can and I don't like you know about like you know letting it slip away my well-being is that being uh, at peace doing the best I can 
spend doing I love I, I love spending time with my friends I don't want to miss up give up my soul I have friends who have been such a supportive who have been such a big support in my life so far like I've gone through ups and downs in my life and all the friends have stood by me my family has stood by me so I'm not going to let that go because I'm busy building a status so that is part of my well-being I need to like 70% of or 80% of my life is my starter but then I very beautifully guard the 20% space for my well-being which is having fun being at peace and like you know meditating walking out for sure not regularly but one or the other like spending that 30 minutes to 40 minutes to do something that is a healthy habit you're talking about family and friends and I just want to go back to that now Our family and friends are our best supporters. You could have the shittest idea in the world. Your family and friends will always tell you, great idea, go for it, because they don't want to hurt your feelings. What? Well, they're talking about... No, they are... No. Really? No, my family. <laughs> Not is, my family either. No. That's very interesting. That, that was going to be my question. You know, people that are very close to you tend not to want to hurt your feelings. They want to protect you. So, I mean... You just said to me, nah, in your case, it wasn't the same. In that... Not hurt your feeling, but I think they are the ones who who will give you what you need. They sense your emotion. Sometimes you need that hard truth. Strangers won't tell you the hard truth. If I'm on a client call, they won't tell you my product is shitty. If I'll show it to a friend, they will say it on my face that the product is shitty. So you need someone. You need you don't need uh, yes here all the time. You need people who will give you the fact. Based on if you are if you are ready to accept the fact at that moment, that's what at least that's what my friends and family have done for me, and I really appreciate them for it. Oh, no, maybe it's, it's, a, it's a South South. This is I think it's a South it's Asian South thing. Asian. Man. You know, like my parents did not believe in anything because it wasn't the blueprint they wanted, and they came from a from a place of like, you don't know what you're doing. We've seen the world. This is the blueprint. I was like, no. You know, you can show me the fire, but I need to touch it to see if it's actually hot. It was my lifestyle. And the first person that ever believed in me was my girlfriend, who's my wife. But until her, in my 20s, nobody believed in anything I wanted to do. And it's crazy. But part of it, I think, is the culture where we come from a, we come from a legacy, hand-down, blueprint, passed-down mindset, right? This is, this is what I imagined my son or daughter to be the day they're born. And then, like, follow it. And then one day and I'm not here, you do what you want. But like, damn, everybody's around much longer now. You know, so, so if your parents are going to be alive for like 90 to 100, that's a lot of time to live somebody else. Just to add that, you know, it's not that your parents are putting you down. It's yeah. just that they're poking holes to know that, you know, you know what you're talking about. Right. So they would challenge you. <clears throat> and sometimes that challenging can feel like they don't believe in you. But in the long term, um, It's it's what is making you think. Yeah, and what you, you just would, witnessed—you would just lash out then and there. Yeah, and what you just seen, Dion, is two South Asians. One Ankita has found the balance on how to appreciate her family. <laughs> Me, I haven't figured it out yet. I'm not a balance. You just literally seen what healthy balance looks like. <laughs> not that when we when we are like. When I'm with my siblings, it's not that we are like you know, oh, you are the best brother and I'm the best sister. We fight, we yeah. challenge the other's idea, and that's our idea of having fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things I've been I've been thinking about a lot, and I've been 
increasingly mentoring more South Asian founders, not by, by choice, it's just that's my ecosystem now. And I'm curious to hear your, your thoughts on as the culture started to embrace entrepreneurship now. And is that a viable thing that young people look at as a career option? Or is it still that secret outlier mindset when it comes to South Asians and entrepreneurship? So entrepreneurship has uh, become fancy for sure. When I was working with startup 10, 12 years ago, it was not fancy. So my family was like, oh, you don't work with a name brand. Which company is it? We don't, we haven't heard of this company. So, and when one, when you believe in yourself, I think your Monday to Friday should be a fun job. I work, loved working where I worked. I loved my job and it didn't matter if I had to answer like, no, if I have to answer like that once a month question, I have not heard about this company. It's okay. That one moment doesn't justify what I do nine to five, five days a week. It's way more rewarding than having to like, you know, letting them down once a month. It's fine. So I was, I was okay with it. Do you still consider as an entrepreneur nine to five and Monday to Friday, or is it every day is a day and you just carve out? (laughs) Now it's, now it's my startup. So it's every day. It's 24 seven. If I wake up in the middle of night, I'm not thinking where is, where am I sleeping? Where is, is the water next to me? I'm thinking, oh, this is a meeting. This is the note that I need to take down. This is what I need to do. To me. So subconsciously, it's 24-7. That's amazing, man. How does it translate into family life? You said you're married. Uh, I'm also married. And sometimes I wonder, how does my wife put up with my crazy lifestyle for 25 years of building startups? So what does that support look like for you? It's it's a beautiful support. I I love my husband. I really love that he has taken the responsibility of running the household on himself while I was making zero dollars in the last one year. And he has been very supportive. So he works in consulting and consulting people are also a little like <laughs> entrepreneurial uh, type people. So he understands the like, you know, he's also very driven and passionate. So we we have a very good understanding there. This journey that you've been on, what has it taught you about yourself? Or what is it, what lessons have you got from it that everyone you feel should learn? So I think working with the ambiguity is something that entrepreneurship teaches you. And it's, I feel it's a lesson for life. Sometimes you plan, try to plan a lot in advance and it's impossible to see what's going to happen. Like you can't, you can plan one step or two step, but you can't plan 10 steps. And entrepreneurship gives you that confidence that, you know, it's okay. You can figure it out. Take two steps. You will see you can figure it out. Same thing with life. We don't take enough risks, whether it's our, with our lifestyle. I know a lot of people who are very afraid to change jobs. They don't like what they do. And they are very afraid to like switch a career in their late 30s or 40s. I say this is not impossible. It's doable. Take one step. What can you do today? or this year, and see how you feel next year. Entrepreneurship, when you're running a company, you're doing this day in and out. You don't know what the end product looks like. Building, you know the problem you're solving, but I can't visualize what final will be in 10 years. I will visualize what final will be in one year, not in five years. So it's a good skill to have confidence in your abilities, to know that you will figure it out. Mm. So let's talk about figuring out for a little bit. 
business is a game of offense and defense and knowing when to play offense and how long before burning out and when to play defense and you play defense too much, you shrink and you lose the momentum. Your industry is being attacked externally by AI. ChatGPT, all of the prompting that we're seeing now that's creating these, these new opportunities that are disrupting legal, copywriters, content creators. Where are you playing defense when it comes to AI and the impact on your business? And where are you playing offense where this is a great opportunity to, to ride the waves? So I usually take, sometimes I take the middle, which is I'll shake hands with the devil. I'll embrace it. And when embracing doesn't, it's, it's, it, it is so contextual. Now, sometimes you need to attack. You need to be angry about something and just attack until you crush the problem. You need to know when that anger and that attack is going to serve you. And you also need to know when the defense is going to be. It's about the company that I'm building. And being agile and being dealing with like working as a startup, you need to know, you need to be multi-skilled. You need to know what to do where. Some people call it like shape-shifting. That's important because not every situation is the same. Not every threat is the same. So know what decision is right and what time is what matters. I love that. So is there any direct impact to your business from ChatGPT? Everybody's talking about it. Do you see do you see an integration happening or is it more of a threat? It's it's definitely no it's it's an integration happening. We are an AI whether we learn from it or we integrate. I have a I have a mindset that you know you need to build everything from scratch. If someone has built it, shake hands and then grow together. I love that. I love that. Yeah, from our point of view, education is being hammered with ChatGPT. And, and we're still trying to figure it out. And, you know, somebody shared a picture on LinkedIn a couple of days ago, a black and white picture of, this is about 40 years ago or so, where teachers were protesting outside schools because calculators are now a thing. And they're like, ban calculators. And today my kids go to school with Apple Watches and Siri and, and they're using technology in class. And I feel like the same picture could be Photoshop now with ChatGPT ban. And teachers walking around, and some of this impact we won't feel for eight to 10 years, like you said, right? So in the next 12 I, to 24 months. I think it's part months, of the evolution. It, we are not the same we were 100 years ago. Maybe we will grow a longer thumb yeah. by using, uh, <laughs> scrolling too much. If this becomes something, let's, yeah. if it's going to happen, it's going to happen, right? Yeah. We were not always standing straight. We were learned. And uh, can you imagine? Darwin's theory. Imagine, Dion, the next wave of kids are like bigger eyes for social media and longer thumbs for scrolling. Jesus! Then we'll refer back to this. Don't you hate removing your wisdom too? Right. So, so redundant, right? Let's stop. Let's stop Either. making them in yeah, the next year. And actually, there they is study that these like kids are not born with a wisdom too. Like next generation will not be born with a wisdom too. So maybe we'll develop new skills. That is incredible, man. That's incredible. No, no. So, I mean, Sorry, Dion, over to you. And Keita, just to close out this session. So what are the plans for, what are the next steps for your business and what are the biggest challenges you think you're going to be facing over the next few months? So we tested this product in Ontario. We are going to uh, grow our team and also make sure that the product reaches the consumers in Ontario, professionals in Ontario, and also expand to other provinces. These are really good provinces for this technology. They have like one of the highest volume in real estate transaction. I think 
the product can work really well there. So that's a plan, growing the team. That's always a number one priority, having the right people on the team who share the same passion. And then if people want to find out more about your business or they want to follow you, where do they go? So our website is phyler.ai, P-H-I-L-E-R.ai. Check it out. Let us know how the website looks at. You can go to the comment base and let me know if you notice any bug on the site. Very cool. What, what, what one last comment? I, I saw you come, your note back yeah. on you know, the book title, Fluke, the story of Hanky Sharma. Uh, how much does luck play into the journey of entrepreneurship, you think? So I knew we'll have a conversation about it because I feel like your enemies are the people who would discredit, discredit what you have done. So they will, if you are a very hardworking people, they will tell you it's a, it's a fluke. It just happened. And that would make them your enemy. Okay. So well said. it's, I, I, I say it's, it's a contrary, like, you know, you have to, you have to work really, really hard to be lucky. If you are winning, like, you know, playing hundred games, you can be lucky once, but if you're playing two games, don't expect to be lucky in one game. So you need to be working a lot harder to have that one person luck favor you win without working hard and like that particular man. moment. You work, if, you're, if you're working hard enough, you get luckier often enough. Yeah. I, yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Thank you for joining us today. It's, it's phenomenal to see My pleasure. where I first got to know who you were to where you are today, incubating with an accelerator or incubator, and now you're into the business and winning customers. Cash flow positive is always fantastic. So count Dion and I on your team anytime we can help. Absolutely. That's so amazing to hear that. Year One is hosted by Dion Kloppers and Sathish Bala and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It is engineered by Bluemex. For more Year One content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit Bluemex.io to join us on Discord.